This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 80. Scott Schmarin on Visionary Opportunities. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Jason Lynette here once again with the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, and you are about to encounter an outstandingly memorable conversation. I first met Scott, I've known of him for a couple of years now, but first getting to meet in person, I believe it actually was 2014 over at the Mid-America Hypnosis Convention up in the Chicago area, the year that he won the award for being Hypnotist of the Year, and being struck with his incredible story. An incredible story that begins with his own personal life transformation, really getting a a second chance, as you'll hear it, in terms of stepping back into life with better mindsets, better strategies, better options, and uh, better mental perspectives of it. And this incredible journey of learning how to harness that and then spread that awareness to spread that empowering transformational message literally around the world. He spends his time with individual clients. He spends his time in the corporate arenas and speaking. And I'll link to this over in the show notes over at Work Smart Hypnosis, uh, a regular guest nowadays on the Howard Stern Show, as well as a outstanding clip. You'll see this over there on the website, uh, appearing on Oprah Winfrey. So a fascinating story, which I, I want you just to hear it for yourself. So let's jump right in. This is session number 80, Scott Schmarin on Visionary Opportunities. You know, what brought me into this was really the struggle I had as a kid. I was uh, obese. I was always the fat kid, the heavy kid. And, you know, I was teased and made fun of. And I spent my life losing weight and then gaining it back and not wanting to gain it back and really wanting to be happy and enjoy my life. And I was miserable and sad and depressed. And why was I having this internal battle with myself. It's like there was two beings inside of me, the part of me that wanted to change and to be happy, and the part of me that was dragging me back to where I was before, which was heavy and overweight. And, you know, it got to the point where life was just miserable. And I had just gained back 160 pounds of what I had lost. And I felt that there was no hope for nothing else for me to do. And I lost my purpose in life. And I took a bottle of sleeping pills and I took a bottle of painkillers And I took them and I said, I didn't want to live anymore. And I guess in all truth, I probably should be dead. I mean, I took enough pills to probably kill an elephant. And I remember waking up, I remember I passed out in a chair and I remember waking up and seeing this light shining down on me from the sky, from above, through my window in my living room. And I had this very peaceful, surreal moment where I thought that I actually was dead. It was that peaceful and that tranquil. And then it's like the lights turned on inside of me and I became alive. And I realized that my whole life I have been blaming everybody else for my problems and my troubles and my misery and my anger. And here I was, I'm, I'm a giant guy like you. I'm five foot six. <laughs> I'd weigh 360 pounds. I had a 56 inch waist, almost as big around as I was tall. And I remember getting out of that chair and saying, my life is going to change. So I started studying how my mind worked 
and realizing it was my subconscious mind that was the master of everything. And I began to work on studying things and reading books on hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming and I don't know how many different programs from becoming you know, a certified clinical hypnotherapist to becoming an LP practitioner to being a, um, a silver graduate and all these other things. And I started taking these pieces of these things that I learned and I started molding them and shaping them how, so I can make them work for myself. And then I started to change and, you know, fast forward, here I am, uh, you know, I'm what, I don't know how many years later, but I've been the weight I'm at now. I've kept off 180 pounds now for more than 10 years. My life has changed and the voice inside of me changed too. And I took my real estate career, dumped it. And this is the voice inside of me that I'm doing what I'm doing now is what I'm supposed to be doing, which is reaching out every day and helping people really discover how amazing they are and to tap into the resources they already possess inside of them and create the life they want to live and actually live it. So that's my the short story. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that. And then I'm always curious to look at this concept of just what it takes for someone to produce change. And to, to recap that, here was this life experience, and then the study of everything hypnosis and NLP within the mind was, how do we recreate this? How does this happen? Is that how you describe mm -hmm. it? Yes. And, and, you know, and people need to know they don't have to reach that bottom, that low point yeah. in their life to make change. Um, it's understanding that we are creatures of familiarity, not, you know, it was, um, I think it was Virginia Satir that said that, you know, we've always been taught that man's greatest need is survival, but it's not survival. Our greatest need is familiarity because we will do what we're familiar with, even if it'll kill us as opposed to embracing change. So it's, it's, it's really realizing that you're not happy where you are and then realizing that over a period of a long period of time, we've just reinforced these behaviors and these habits inside of ourselves. And we've got to change them by creating new pathways in our mind and then just reinforcing those pathways over and over again until they become your norm. So I'd love to hear your take on this because very often there's this expectation that, well, I've had this issue for this many years, so it's going to take that many years, if not something as long to solve it as well. Though here's a beautiful moment where it just took that moment of, to put it simply, getting that second chance to go mm -hmm. enough is enough and I don't need to live this way anymore. How, how much of, as you work with people, I know you do quite a bit of speaking, though you also do work with people on a one-to-one -one basis too, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So how much of that navigation towards that moment where something shifts into the mind and my language is getting that mind to the place where the old way of thinking, the old way of living just doesn't work anymore. And that's mm -hmm. when change occurs. Well, I think that it doesn't, you know, a lot of people think, well, if I've been like this for 30 or 40 years, it's going to take me 30 or 40 years to change. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, if you're working on changing an ingrained pattern you have inside of you, and you, but you, however, you have focused attention and awareness of what you want to change, change can happen very rapidly. Was it said that the change happens two ways in a highly emotionally charged state? Change can happen very rapidly, which is really what we use the hypnotic state for. And then through repetition over and over. And I know I work with my clients. We work on both. You know, we work on the, a hypnotic state making rapid change. And then we work on creating a simple daily routine of actually writing things out in a journal, things you're grateful for, things you like about yourself, things you love about yourself. 
And what happens is writing those things out just reinforces that habit. I, I think of it as like working out. You can't go to the gym one time, work out, have a perfect body. It'd be a fabulous, wonderful thing. It would save me a lot of time, but you can't do that. you got to do something all the time to keep your body in shape. And the same thing for your mind. If you just can't do something one time and expect your whole world to change. You've got to do something consistently on a regular basis, driving your mind and keeping your mind in the direction you want it to go in. Though that specific example of one day in the gym is one that even working with a weight loss client, there's so much of that mindset often becomes this all or nothing thinking that, yes. oh, oh, well, here was Thanksgiving and I had two pieces of pie, so all is lost. One of my, I'm talking with you today at the end of uh, day five of a training course that I'm running. And here's a student that worked with a friend for exercise motivation and how easily the mind of this individual went to, well, I went to the gym three times, but then I didn't. So this stopped working for me when right. here I am. But then again, there were you and I in Vegas a few weeks ago and the gym of the hotel at the same time. But the, the moment of, well, yeah, there's the rest day. And the phrase of one day in the gym isn't going to change someone's life. And likewise, one day of, let's call it not as good eating is also not going to change their life. I, I agree. Well, I think, and I'm also going to speak for myself, but I used to be that way, is many of the weight loss clients I work with, and I struggle with this, they're perfectionists. Mm -hmm. So they set up this unrealistic expectation they're going to follow this program without ever varying from it. And in doing that, they've already set in motion the wheels turning that they're going to fail. And it may be the subconscious mind saying, you know, we really don't want to do this. So we're going to set up an unrealistic expectation that you can't follow through on. And then when you do have that one moment of weakness, I'm going to show you that you failed because you weren't perfect. And what happens? You chuck all the hard work you did and you flush it down the toilet. Yeah. And I can remember, I remember having a lady work with one time and she loves chocolate cake and she goes, I'm never having it again. I go, that's really a dumb proposition. <laughs> I said, I said, cause you know what? At some point you're going to have it. And then all the hard work you put into this, you failed. The goal would be to say food has no power over him anymore. And if I have a piece of chocolate cake, what's the big deal? It's not going to hurt me. It's not talking to me. I'm not having a conversation. It's not, it's not soothing me and being a source of love. And that's when you know that you've accomplished what you want to accomplish. You've overcome that. And we have unrealistic expectations. And I also think, especially I see it more in way loss. I see it in other things too is a lot of times when someone has been heavy for a very long time, it seems to be that that value and belief system that being heavy is safe and loving and whatever else they're getting out of it is very, very strong. And it's almost as strong, if not as strong, as a religious belief. And so then when you go after it to try and change it, you get moments of kickback and resistance. And that's a bad thing. It's a very bad thing. And what happens is, I don't know if you find this in your practice, is that when people, I'll, I'll tell my clients, especially working weight loss, that at some point you're going to have a moment of resistance and you're going to be totally unaware of it. And I'm going to let you know when it happens. And that moment of resistance could be something simple, like they've been following, they've, you know, like I'll give them follow to do for seven days in between our sessions and they'll do it five days. And then the sixth day it says, oh, you know, I don't feel like doing it. You've been doing it for this long. You know, you could take a day off. Or it'll be, you know, I've been doing this for three weeks and I just haven't lost 500 pounds yet. So this is not working and I'm going to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And those are moments of resistance that if you don't, 
push through and get past, you'll end up going back to where you were. And your subconscious mind in that instance is really trying to push you back to where you were and keeping you from going where you want to go. Which I love the point about seeking that perfect outcome that just isn't a reality. Though I, I'd be curious, there's a phrase that I often grapple with that there's clear examples where this is absolutely the case, though at times I would phrase it that the community holding on to this belief system might not be using the best of methods, where you'll see different numbers. It takes 21 days to install a new behavior, 30 days. What is your thinking on that? You know, I, I don't think there is a specific number. Yeah, no. For some person, it could be uh, it could be a very short period of time. You know, all I know when I work with on myself is that it didn't happen overnight, and I had to consciously make myself do the things that the subconscious work on a daily basis. Like one of the things I knew about myself is that I was really good at starting something and doing it for seven to seven days to two weeks, and then I would start to wane interest and start to fade off from it. And I knew that this time going in. And then what I also knew is that I was really good at keeping my word. I was always instilled that giving your word was the most important thing. If you gave your word, you better do it. So it was just finding leverage. And what I did is the first time I started, you know, keeping a journal and making recordings for myself and listening to them is I made a contract with myself and signed it saying, okay, you're going to do this for the next 30 days, no matter what happens. And at the end of 30 days, if you want to stop, you can stop or you can renew for 30 days. And if you renew, you have to finish the next 30 days. Mm -hmm. And I signed it. And what it did is it kept me on track. It worked well for me. I know that like somewhere around day seven, day eight or nine, and I remember getting into bed and I had written in my journal and all of a sudden I go, oh man, I forgot to write in my journal. And of course the little voice in the back of my head saying, oh, come on, you've done it for eight days already. What's the big deal if you miss a day? You're doing so great. Don't worry about it. But the other little voice on my other shoulder was telling me, you know what? You gave your word. You need to keep your word. And I dragged my salary rear end out of bed and I wrote in my journal and then it made it easier for me to do it again the next day. So that's the perspective I come from. And, you know, is there, is it 21 days or 30 days? You know what? There isn't. It's, it's whatever it is. It could be years. It could be months. It's doing something to a point. Like now I have my morning routine and I've been following it now. In fact, uh, October, this October will be 14 years I've been following my routine. I just do it now like brushing my teeth. Right. It's part of who I am. And it wasn't always like that. It took a long time before it became that way. And that's the goal is to get it where you just do it. It becomes part of who you are. I go to the gym every day and people say, oh, don't you love going to the gym and working out? I go, no. I go, there's days I don't mind going there and there's days I absolutely don't want to go there, but it's part of what I do and who I am. And that just came through lots of repetition and also installing this picture in my subconscious mind of what I want to look like and what I want to feel like and how I want to experience the world. That's something that popped up with a client just earlier this week that he brought up the example. He's in the office. There's segments of his business that are starting to lag and he's describing what's going on. And I, the, the guy by the name of Derek Sivers, Derek was the uh, founder CEO of a company by the name of CD baby, which could best be described as iTunes before there was iTunes and I may be paraphrasing here, but I believe the quote was, if everything in life came down to knowing the right strategies, we would all be billionaire CEOs with six-pack abs, which right. is hideously unfair because I believe Derek Sivers is a billionaire CEO with six-pack abs, though <laughs> it, it's that place where only knowledge gets us to a certain point. So 
here's this guy who's in my office and here's this chunk of his business that's been lagging. He understands it's not a strategy issue. It's a him issue. There are things he needs to be doing and he's just not doing them. And he brought up that exact example of, he goes, I'm in the gym this many times a week. And he goes, there's one specific thing that he goes, I don't like doing the leg press. He goes, the way that I do it, the machine that I like, it's a lot of setup. It's a lot of get ready. And I'm always dreading that moment, but I always feel better once it's done. Mm-hmm. And he referenced that, and that just became that perfect through line of uh, – this, this pops up. I had a moment one time where uh, a student of mine calls up, and it's a client who – and this is a rather specific example – that uh, he has this almost PTSD-style reaction when someone sings the happy birthday song which Mm -hmm. I might have heard and went, I've never heard of that, but I've had the same with a client who with the issue with the, uh, with Jingle Bells. Basic story, she's in a elementary school production and she's the lead elf. She's supposed to burst out of this package and uh, be the lead elf and sing a funny song. Well, the scenery is stuck and she's there freaking out and they're just vamping and repeating Jingle Bells over and over and over and let's call that an ISE. So... The student calls up and she goes, I'm going to suggest that he that she now likes the song, which I think that's too far of a leap when there are things that we do that the easy example, uh, are there people out there who absolutely love and adore brushing their teeth? Yes, there probably are. Yet for most of us, it's that thing that we do because we know we should, we know we have to, we know the benefit of it. And to fold in some of these strategies, it's how... I think it's a counterintuitive strategy sometimes, but to take away the novelty of change, to fold things in as if that's just how we've always done it, yet still appreciate the benefit we get from it. You know, what you're saying makes total sense. And what I find is, you know, people will do something for a lot. Actually, you know what? I think a lot of people come when they come to work with us. They have this idea that, okay, I'm going to go see him and we're going to work a few sessions and I'm going to be cured. I won't have to do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And what happens is they don't realize the commitment they need to make to making change. And it's it's an evolution. It's a lifelong process. Like it reminds me, you started mentioning about business. I had a lady come to me and she owned a telemarketing business. She owned it for a long time and she was bored and her business was starting to wane. And she was off track and she's being lazy with her health and lazy with her business. And so we worked for a short period of time and things started getting better. And she went her merry way. And about nine months later, I get a call from her and she says, business is crappy again. And I don't, I'm not happy and things are miserable. And always my first question is, are you still following your daily routine? And I will say in every single case, the answer is no. Yeah. And you ask them why? She says, well, I just didn't think I needed to do it anymore. Everything was going great. And I didn't have to do it anymore. I was cured. And the rationale should be, if everything's going great, it's because of the things I'm doing. Why wouldn't you keep doing it? Maybe even expanding those things and looking for new ways to stretch your mind and to expand the limitations you have so you can do even more and greater things or maybe go in a different direction. And I think part of it's our society. And we live in a world that everything is instant gratification. I have a weight loss client I'm working with now. In fact, in our last session, he was upset that he only lost a pound. I go, do you realize if you lost a pound every week, you would lose 52 pounds in a year? 
Well, what's wrong with that? It, but we live in a world where everything has to be now. We have to have instantaneous, spontaneous results or it doesn't work or we're a failure. So, so I want to rewind the story back a little bit. So we have the origin story. We have the education of how to harness this and how to share it. Though to look at some of your some of your resume here, uh, regular appearances on the Howard Stern Show, uh, appearance on Oprah Winfrey, co-writing a book with Jack Canfield and Deepak Chopra. What was that journey from your own discoveries, your own transformations, your own education to now becoming an advocate, a, a speaker, a, a practitioner of all of this? How did that well, you know, How did that become viral and spread for you? Well, it's interesting, and it comes. It came about the same way that the work I do with my clients is. I find one of the most key important things for them is to have a vision, a goal, or a dream in their mind that they want to have. They don't have to worry about how they're going to get there or what the process is for them to reach that destination. Is they got to have that destination in their mind. You can't go on a great vacation unless you know where you're going. So as I start evolving and changing myself. I created this first. I created this vision in my mind of how I wanted to look. I remember creating this vision, and I would write it out every day that I have a strong, healthy, lean, attractive, youthful body weighing 175 pounds or less. And I knew exactly what I would look like, and I look exactly the way I thought I would. And my weight now, between 171 and 174, it really doesn't ever change. And then I wanted more. When I started working with people, these thoughts and ideas would come to my head, and I created this vision that in my lifetime. I wanted to touch more than 10 million people. I wanted to help more than 10 million people in my lifetime truly discover how amazing they are and be able to live the life they've always wanted to live, to live the life of their dreams. And when that became part of me, the wheels start to turn. And of course, you can't work with 10, individ 10 million individuals in your lifetime. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. So as it starts to get put out into the universe, I have no idea how this is going to happen. Where I start getting opportunities. Like an example is I've been a Howard Stern listener, I don't know, for 25, 30 years. He has 20 million people that listen to that show. And I got on the show the first time. I simply, I heard a, one of the guys on the show was talking about, um, he, he's friends with the husband of the Long Island medium. And he was talking about people come back from their past lives because they have unresolved business. And they were just chopping him to pieces on the air. And, so I said, okay. So I was, I, there's not a way to really call them. They don't give you a number. There's no nothing. So I go on their website and they have, hey, do you have a comment about the show? So all they put in there was, wouldn't it be really cool if we did a past life regression on this guy? Oh, by the way, that's what I do. Here's my name and my phone number. If you want to, you can Google me. And I left it. Didn't think about it again. And about, I don't know, 10 days, two weeks later, I get an email from them saying, hey, we'd like to talk to you. We want to know more. And then what progressed from there, then I got on the show. And the guy I worked with on the show, they didn't give him any of my information. They didn't, they didn't want him to know who I was before I came there. And so he asked me, he goes, how did you get on the show? And I told him, he goes, well, that doesn't happen that way. He goes, we <laughs> usually find somebody. And so, you know, I've been fortunate. I, you know, I did a program on Coast to Coast Radio the same way they found me. Um, I don't want to say I seem to walk into things by accident. I don't believe that. I believe that you really get what you attract in your life. And I seem to have... People find me. I mean, I'll even take it a step further is, all right, we're at Hypno Thoughts Live and I'm teaching two programs there. And my model has always been, I want to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I'm not inexpensive for what I charge. I think I'm a great value for what I charge. And, and I speak. 
And I sat in Steve, Dr. Steve G. Jones' one-hour program, and I've always been hesitant to take recordings and put the other programs and sell them on the Internet or on social media. And I sat through his one-hour class, and I said, you know, I guess that kind of makes sense to me. I need to decide, you know, is that going to hurt my one-on-one coaching business, or is it going to strengthen it, or are the two people totally different? And then I decided I would stay. He had a two-day program afterwards, and I decided to stay. And the first thing that happened is, well, I call my airline, and I call up, and I say, okay, I want to stay two more days. How much more is it going to be? She goes, it's funny, because the flight you want to take home, which is two days later, is actually less money than the flight you're going on. So I actually got a $35 <laughs> refund for staying for two days. Nice. Okay. And I sat through two days with 15 people. And my first question to him was, is why are you here? You're making a, a tremendous amount of money. You're very successful at what you do. He goes, I want to start giving back a little bit. I'm friends with Scott Sandlin. And it would be, I want something I want to do. And he was filming it. So 15 of us got two days to spend with this guy who's highly successful at what he does. And all of a sudden, the lights went on in my head. And I made a shopping list. And it's been, what, six weeks since the, the Hidden Thoughts Live ended. And I've been going through this whole proliferation of going through learning how to use social media. Now, he was, here's an even funnier coincidence. I get this um, email from Kevin Harrington, the, the Ginsu knife guy who's yeah. all over the place. Okay, he's one of the original sharks. And he has this new thing called the, uh, the Quantum Entrepreneur Academy. And they're giving it really expensive. They're giving it inexpensive keys to get you in. It's a forty-nine dollar online video program by this young guy named Maxton, who is an expert at producing um, ads on Facebook and how to use the analytics they have to produce ads that actually produce good returns on your money. So I'm looking at the videos. You can make comments on there. And he mentioned that if you want to contact me, if you want us to use your business, maybe as an example, we would. So I email him. I tell him my story. I've been on the Howard Stern show and I get a phone call from him. And he says, oh, I'm a Howard Stern fan. I just wanted to talk to you. He goes, this could be a lot of fun. And I told him my story about with, uh, with Steve Jones. This is only a couple weeks after he starts laughing. He goes, I go, what's so funny? He goes, the quantum entrepreneur Academy is a partnership between Kevin Harrington and Steve Jones. Nice. <laughs> so, so the interesting coincidences in life. So, you know, we learn these new things and we turn them on inside of our head. And if you are there to see them and you have, you know, if you can expand your awareness, I always say to my clients, the two most powerful things you have well, besides patience and persistence, it's becoming awake and aware of your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions. Because the moment you are awake and aware of them, you have control over them and you can change them. And so here I am, I put this idea out. I want to help more than 10 million people in my lifetime in the tools and the ideas and the opportunities keep presenting themselves to me. So, um, so that, hits on a, that hits on a theme, though, that I think across the board, too many people in this helping profession, and not just hypnotists, the, the thought is that the one-to-one is the best scenario, which, which can definitely be defended and argued, yet there are people that are out there that the real opinion is that we are denying them the benefit of the process, by not doing the big speaking presentation, by not producing the products, the programs. So Steve's a guy that some people would have some strong-held opinions of, and I'd be one of the many to say, go up to him and shake his hand because there's a lot of people that interact with hypnosis first thanks to all these recordings. 
And mm-hmm. people can be just as successful if sitting in the audience of a big seminar, sitting at home with the headphones on or just playing it over their phone, that there's this increase your reach mechanism that it all does tend to fold together. And from the business side of things, it positions us at the end of that funnel where people in this class that I'm training right now, there are people here because they've bought my smaller programs and now they're spending eight days with me in Virginia. And likewise, the opposite will occur. They've spent eight days with me in Virginia and then they'll likely spin around and buy some of the other programs. So it's a win-win from all sides because we're providing better value, better opportunities, and just getting that message out there in stronger ways. I, I agree with you tremendously. What's interesting is when I, I, I had a conversation with Steve in between one of the breaks in the session, I said, my biggest dilemma right now is if I start selling a, a recording online, is that going to take away from people that are going to want to spend several thousand dollars with me for one-on-one coaching? And he said something that was made total sense to me. He says the people that will only spend 30, 40, 50 bucks for an individual recording from you are not the people that are going to spend several thousand dollars from you on coaching initially. They may end up, but the people that are looking to work with you one-on-one are not going to substitute that one-on-one coaching to go buy a recording. Right. And don't be afraid of it. And that was always my biggest dilemma is will I be diminishing my value as a coach one-on-one working with people? And the answer is no. And, um, well, I mean, it's on a similar note, you mentioned the client that stopped doing the the ritual, stopped doing the routine because, oh, I didn't feel like I needed to anymore. And right. granted, this is a client that some people may have a different reaction to the story than I did, which was that I had taught her self-hypnosis. I had taught her some very specific mechanisms. And her statement was, this is great, though I'd rather come to you every week for the next six months. And her statement drew the metaphor right away. She goes, I know how to exercise myself, but I do better when the personal trainer is there with me, coaching me. I understand that. Yeah. So it's how, what is, and it's, some people would say, oh, no, you've created a dependency. Yet she saw me for that six months. She launched the project she wanted to do. And I think I've seen her maybe twice since then. That's, that was like maybe three, four years ago. So it's where we sometimes need that extra benefit. And it's this place of, I'd say, respecting the client's individual strategies. Now, granted, I, I was okay with that, not because she was willing to pay for it, but because that was her strategy. That's what she felt would work best for her. She had presented that, let's call it a hypnotic contract, that this is what's going to work best for me. I understand that. I mean, I have, yeah, I work with all my clients mostly on the telephone, and most of them are out, out of the state from where I live, so I'm out of the country. And I've had people say, I want to come in and work with you. I'll fly in for a weekend. And I'll tell them it's really not necessary, but from their perspective, they think it is, and then they need to do that. So I get that. I understand that. Everybody's different, mm-hmm. and everybody has to process and learn and do things in their own way. And you know, we have to, you know, as help, you know, helping people, we have to learn sometimes that it's not what we want; it's what's most important for them. If it works for them, that's fine. So I'm curious to ask this: We have your story. We've brought up several others as well. In, in all the years being in this environment of change, let's put it that way, is there one specific client story that kind of stands out as the benchmark that, wow, this stuff is powerful, wow, this is incredible? I have a couple. Yeah. Um, I mean, one is a fun story. And one, well, here, I have, I, have, I have a gentleman I started working with, 
this is several years ago. And he came to me, um, it was a pain issue. He was, he was, um, a battlefield EMT in the first Gulf war in the early nineties in operation desert storm, um, front lines. Uh, he was a medic. He was a frontline EMT. He was wounded. Um, and he loved what he did. He came back, he became a website developer, but he was still a fireman. He lived in Arrowhead, California. And he was a volunteer fireman and he, and there, and, you know, on his free time and, you know, he was a web developer and he loved what he did. He had a wonderful wife, they had no kids. And several years ago, it's got to be nine, 10 years ago, he's about, he's two stories up on a ladder and they're fighting a fire and the pressure builds up in the building and the building explodes and he's blown two, two and a half stories off this ladder and he lands on concrete and he should have died, but he lived. And he had damage. He had nerve damage to his spine and to his legs, and his life became hell. It was pain. He had multiple surgeries. He even tried to put a pacemaker on his spine to control with electrical impulses the pain signal that was being sent to his brain. And that didn't work. In fact, um, they moved to Chicago for another surgery. There was a surgeon doing this different, very different uh, unusual surgery. And of course it didn't work. And so he came to me and he says, you know, I have to do something. I can't take narcotics because I can't think and I won't live that way. And if I can't do something to control this, I'm going to kill myself because I cannot live the rest of my life. He was 40 years old. And so, you know, we always set a goal. And, you know, sometimes we think the most simple goal. We just take things for granted that we do in our life. So his simple goal was he wanted to be able to go out for a restaurant with his wife. Now, here's his day. His day at that time was if he spent more than 60 minutes on his feet during the day, his pain level would go up to a nine or 10 and stay that way for two or three days. And he'd be in agony. On a good day, his pain level was a three or a four. And so his goal, his first goal was, I want to be able to go out for dinner with my wife sit down in either a booth or a chair in a restaurant, which I can't do, have a, a glass of wine, have a wonderful dinner with my wife, look my wife in the eyes and tell her that I love her. I go, wow, that's, that's something we really take for granted. And that's really pretty powerful. So we worked on that and he was able to manage his pain and they went out for dinner. Actually, they went for dinner and they went to a movie afterwards, which is something he hadn't done in years. And then in our next session, he says to me, you know, I think I want to do some more things than this. So he had this idea that he wanted to start updating his technology skills for building websites. So Adobe has a major office in Chicago and he called them up and he told them his story and they invited him to a training. And the training consisted of five days, eight hours a day sitting in a classroom. And he did it. And then they liked him and they invited him to advanced training, which was now he had to go into the city. And they had an office in the city of Chicago. So that involved him going to the train taking the train into the city and then walking almost a mile to their facility, sitting in a classroom for eight hours, walking almost a mile back to the train, take the train back and go home. And he did that. And his life is full and alive now and he can manage his pain. It's not always gone, but he can live with it. It's manageable and he's functioning in the world. And his story, he came to me one day, he used to come in once in a while for what he would call a tune up. And we're walking out of my office and he says to me, he goes, you know, if I could write you a check for a million dollars, I would write you a check for a million dollars. And I encouraged him to do it. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, but I can't. And then he pulled out this medallion and I carry it with me wherever I go. Um, 
It's a St. Florentine medallion, which St. Florentine is the uh, patron saint of firemen. He goes, we earned these medallions for doing heroic deeds. He goes, and I got this medallion for saving somebody's life. And then he handed it to me and he goes, thank you for helping me save my life. Wow. And it was had to be one of the most moving moments I've had and probably the most impactful moment I've had in anything that I've done. So, and it has a lot of meaning. It still has a lot of meaning to me. Which I love that because in so many ways, it's what are those things we can get back to that normal of doing? What are those things that I think is, as this has popped up as a theme this weekend in this course where they're, they're so focused as the new student on, okay, it's someone coming in for some sort of pain relief and assuming we've gone all the appropriate channels. It's the, what about that feeling? What about that feeling? And it's this chicken or the egg moment of as he's now doing those things that he wants to do, the comfort is increasing. And as the comfort is increasing, he's also able to do those things once again. So it's that emotional, there's a chiropractor who took my class a while ago and his, he said something one day that just kind of smacked you upside the head with how brilliant it was as the line was, uh, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's just stuck as a theme ever since then of how is it that we work with somebody that there may be some things, as you mentioned, the pain wasn't entirely eradicated, yet here he is back in his patterns of life once again. You know, I think it's, I think it's, it's truly, it's, I think it's truly amazing what our minds can do. And I think also we forget sometimes as practitioners that sometimes we get as big a gift from our clients as we give to them. And I've learned so many magical lessons from my clients and the experiences they've had that have touched my, my, my very soul and my heart that you just, that you would never expect. And, um, there's some really neat experiences. So then moving forward, let me ask you this. What would you say excites you about this journey continuing? Oh, I got a lot of exciting things right now. Um, I am in talks right now with two different companies that produce uh, TV brands, which would be info commercials, on doing an info commercial on any other program. And I have all these things that just seem to flow to me. And... Um, I, I'm very excited about the direction of my life and where it's going in and all the fun things that are happening and all the important things that are happening, even in my personal life, that just strengthen me as a human being and as a man and as a practitioner. And, you know, life's an adventure every day. And, you know, I have an idea where my destiny, no, I have, a, I know where my destination is. Am I always sure how I'm going to get there? No. And so these wonderful things pop up. And what I've allowed myself to do is I allow myself to be open to listening to those things. Sometimes they're not the right things. Sometimes they are. But my ears are always open. My eyes are open. And whatever opportunity comes to me, I'm thrilled. And I'll look at it with an open mind. If it's right, it's right. If it's not, it's not. And thank you very much. So, um I look forward to all the wonderful things and who knows, those ideas might change. I'm changing the model for part of my business now that I never thought I would ever change. I love it. Changing again. So let's, I've got to ask the question though. I love the branding, the, the title of a neuro performanceologist. (laughs) Yes. And what I found is 
a lot of times in the corporate world, there's a very negative connotation to the word hypnosis, even, even to the public. We think they were the guys, you know, with the, you know, the pocket watch waving in front of people's eyes and making them bark like dogs or cluck like chickens. And that's a fun part. I mean, stage hypnosis is, is entertaining and it's fun, but it's not what we always do when we're doing for a therapeutic or for motivational purposes. And I found that several times people were hesitant to bring me on board to speak for their company or for their organization because I was a hypnotist or because they had certain religious beliefs and connotations that hypnotism was really a bad thing because they didn't understand it. So I just changed the moniker of what I used. And um, I came up with that. I don't know when I came up with that term, but it just, okay, it's the brain and it's about performing better. So I'm a neuroperformanceologist, like doing a tune up on your brain. I love so, it. so that's where it came from. Yeah. And I love it because it's something you've never heard before, but the moment you hear it, you go, yeah, I get it. Defines the direction so, moving forward. Well, Scott, this has been great. How can, how can people find you online? Um, people can find me online a couple ways. You can email me at scott at ultimatevisionarymind.com or you can go to my website the same way. You can reach out to me there, uh, which is ultimatevisionarymind.com. And you know what? If people want to call me directly, they can call me. They can, I'll give you my phone number. You can reach me at 847 331 Five eight four eight, and we'll put all this in the uh, show notes over at WorkSmartHypnosis.com links as well, and a uh, couple of videos over there too for you to check out to see Scott to action. Uh, Scott, this has been phenomenal having you on here. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Absolutely, and I'll see you around. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com. Jason Lynette here once again, and thank you so much for those of you at home, in your cars, in the gym, or wherever you are interacting with this program. And of course, absolutely thank you once again to Scott for carving some time out of your very busy schedule to spend some time with us here today. The, the concepts that Scott shared there in terms of how we produce change, I, I love that as a concept in terms of thinking about it, that it takes just a moment to get the foot in the door. Yet, then from there, it takes the respective strategies, behaviors to keep that congruent with us, to keep that in motion. I love the phrase that, well, you brush your teeth every day. So to do something for yourself, it's how you often hear of this mindset of win the morning, win the day, start the day on your terms. Do not begin the day in a reactionary mindset. And on a similar note, some of the most successful hypnotists that I meet in this profession have a passion towards their own ongoing education. So you heard Scott tell his story of attending conventions and attending workshops, and I, I attended his, and he I'm very proud he was there attending some of mine as well. So this mindset towards continued education, and for that I'd share with you Hypnotic Workers. Hypnotic Workers is the entire digital access library to my hypnosis trainings. Everything from inductions to deepening strategies, as well as techniques for change that you just will not find anywhere else. And the real icing on the cake inside of Hypnotic Workers is that there are several client demonstrations, real sessions from start to finish 
for you to observe, for you to model, for you to interact with. Interacting inside of the digital content by watching the demos and discussing inside of our private membership forum as well. This is a full access pass to all of my hypnosis training, which you're able to get started learning and interacting with today for just $47. So I'd encourage you right away, head over to hypnoticworkers.com, learn all about the program, sign up, get inside. I know you're going to find it outstanding. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you soon.